This is episode 99 with Chris Rawlings of Judo Launch. And in today's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into what his experience is like in San Francisco looking for VC investment, as well as we're going to be getting into what are some considerations you need to know when asking yourself how you really know if your product's going to sell. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm Kirsten, uh, Crowdfunding Uncut. You guys should know that by now. Um, fun story. So I was just in Austin about six weeks ago, and it was at an e-commerce summit through Freedom Fastlane, Ryan Moran. And Ezra Firestone was one of the main speakers there, which is cool because up until I met him, I was like, I know you're the shop if I do, but I don't really know who you are. And uh, every time people ask me, okay, you were at a conference, what hotel did you stay at? Actually, we were at a ch- uh, children's Jewish summer camp. It was Jewish. Yeah, which is, right. yeah, which is, it seems weird, but it was in Wimberley, Texas. It was middle of nowhere. So you got the real Texan experience. And I remember, um, like I was, it was cafeteria style for some of the meals. And I remember like looking around and I saw Ezra, but then I saw this dude with really long blonde hair, like surfer boy. I was like, whatever. So I just sat down because there's a spot beside you guys. And then Chris here, who is now on the podcast, he just, um, we clicked immediately because he's like, yeah, I run a launch service called Judo Launch. Uh, We work with physical products and help with e-commerce product launches and stuff like that. And instantly I was like, this is really cool because I love jiving with people in different niches that do different kinds of product launches because whatever is working well in certain industries, I feel like there's a really great opportunity for the crowdfunding industry to take what is working in other areas and apply it to there. So we keep talking and then I was like, okay, cool. This could be a good, good angle for the podcast. But then he's like, I'm currently living in San Fran raising VC funding and man, it is not what I expected. And I was like, 
I would love to hear about this because I don't deal with VCs and like dealing with the <laughs> landscape in San Fran. Awesome. So th- what I'm trying to say is we have a few different angles and things that Chris and I are going to be talking about on this podcast. He's a super interesting guy. I'm going to shut up and let him actually introduce himself and what he does. So welcome to the show, Chris Rawlings from Judo Launch. Thanks, Kirsten. I, you stole my the first topic that I wanted to talk about because I was going to spring them bring your audience with how we met because from my perspective it was like within the first five minutes of us getting to that cool like camp conference and I sit down with some salad I'm like kind of just eating alone next to Ezra Firestone and like him and the Swanee guy were just like chatting intently and then like this cute Canadian girl that like, comes and sits next to me and I was like oh cool right. and then I just realized that you came to talk to Ezra and I was like fuck yeah <laughs> but it worked out because we hit it off and got to talking about interesting things. So, um, yeah, I'm I know. glad that that happened. I'm glad that I was sitting next to Ezra so that you could come. And oh my God. Ezra. And then it was love. <laughs> um, I do have to say, this is my second podcast I'm recording with a new puppy. So just to say, if people hear squealing in the background, I am not killing children. I have a puppy that's very needy. So you hear him that's what's happening i can't hear him i think we're good i can hear him very well but anyways whatever that's cool the conversation not about the puppy um but it is true i wanted to sit beside ezra and then i i remember um i i think he agreed to come on the podcast don't quote me on that guys but um i had the worst introduction to him ever i was like hey ezra i know you're the shopify guy i know nothing else about what you do (laughs) i was waiting to meet you to see what you did bullshit line but it worked great guy but now we're here so it's not about Ezra this is about us Chris don't be jealous I, I, I got over it Kirsten I, I feel better now the universe brought us together in this cosmic way so Man. now we're here so before this gets too weird for the audience like what, what yeah seriously yeah so you mentioned before like you've done several podcasts in the past and yeah. one of your pet peeves is when there's not enough story behind it. And yeah. it's cool because I look to integrate story in every aspect of my podcast. Like, you know, even just briefing my guests, I don't have scripted questions. And I like to tell the journey of how you got into what you're doing now. What was the catalyst for it? And then tell the journey of where, how you went from starting to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so I Thank would love to like know. That. You're welcome. Um, I would love to know, like, what got you into product launches? And, like, okay, first off, can you preface with what Judo Launch is, what you do, and then go back to what got you into it? Totally. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll do that in the reverse order, how I got into it. And yeah, then, whatever. And then what we cool. Did. Yeah. Well, so, so my story is basically, um, between two and three years ago, I was working in the solar industry in, like, a, a company that I had no equity in. You know, I was just an employee, um, kind of just going from the scientist because I was trained in physics um, into business roles more and more, uh, just realizing that I needed to know business to control my own destiny. And, but eventually, like just sitting at like a cubicle every day, I got to the point where I wanted to like blow my brains out. So I was like, all right, instead of that, let's just. I Googled, literally Googled like the most beautiful country in the world and New Zealand popped up as like the first hit and I booked a flight like one way. 
And so that like just strapped me into the roller coaster of this crazy journey that's happened over the past two and a half years of me quitting my job, selling all of my possessions, going like minimalist lifestyle, moving to New Zealand, buying a motorcycle, starting a business from cafes in New Zealand in different little towns, you know, just motorcycling from town to town. Um, and I was living like the digital nomad, like solopreneur life. And for Pete, for your listeners who don't know this, there is like a massive global community that you don't realize exists until you actually tap into it of like traveling digital nomads that are doing whatever digital marketing, their own e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses, you know, SEO, whatever it is. If you go to like places like Bali in Indonesia, the Philippines, you just kind of get tapped into this whole network of people who live that life of just traveling and working for themselves. And if that sounds like an awesome life to anybody listening to this, I highly recommend that you just book a ticket and go somewhere and start just going to a random co-working space and just meeting people because you'll quickly get swept up into it, which I'm sure you know too, Kirsten. Yeah, I I do. I remember like, okay, I've, um, uh, there we go with the puppy. When I first read Tim Ferriss's books and I learned about these underground communities that are now pretty popular, my first thought is like, okay, well, I don't know anyone who's done this before. Unlike other entrepreneurs I've spoken to that had a friend, moved to Thailand, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was was recommended one resource, which guys, if you're stuck in your corporate job and you're looking to do this digital nomad thing, um, the Dynamite Circle is a great online community to join and meet other solopreneurs and get the resources the to learn MBA to guys, right? yeah, yeah 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 exactly right right yeah um totally. so that's like a really great community of people who are currently making money online and a great resource to like get started and stuff like that yeah hey guys sorry about that um i just had to deal with my puppy he's very needy um and very cute and uh i had like three four of my friends say please set up an instagram account for him so if you guys want to follow my puppy he's the team mascot for us uh you can go that to no awesome right because it's a it's very selfish way to whore out my dog to build That's my really. audience <laughs> and it works. but you can go to noah underscore bull mascot link in the description anyways before plugging my stuff we'll keep going with this um but yeah, if you just don't know where to start, like the DC is the is where it's at. Like, what was the first resource you came across that helped you realize? Like, did you just come across people in a coffee shop where you started to learn, or what yeah. was your thing? No, that yeah, that is how it went down. Like, okay. I was working alone for a while, not really hooked into the community, to any type of community. Not that there's like one big community, but like, um, I I literally started my e-commerce business, and it was a spinal health e-commerce business, mostly mm-hmm. based on Amazon. So I'd started that um, and I was running it from cafes in New Zealand by myself. But then the more I traveled, the more I met people who were doing similar things, like living this nomadic lifestyle, being able to travel constantly and running a business, um, which is amazing. But moral of the story is um, I grew that business through a mix of luck and just desperate hard work because it was like my only gig. So I had to make it succeed. I had no other choice. Um, That business ended up being very successful and um, grew a small team around it and expanded it to seven different countries. And uh, 
you know, so it grew from zero with just a couple of some personal savings that I had bootstrapped to about a million and a half a year. Um, and I still have that business now, actually. Uh, but soon, you know, I'll actually be in the process of selling it. But um, so that that whole experience of building that business and especially expanding abroad is what just opened my eyes to the massive chasm of opportunity to serve this new expanding sector of the consumer products uh, industry. Uh, so like, I just realized it's so easy for people to start brands that really connect with like a niche audience much more than any global, like multi-billion dollar conglomerate ever could that that sector of the consumer goods like industry just needed to be taken care of. And there's so many businesses popping up to take care of those people. There's like bench for accounting, you know, there's all kinds of legal services like rocket lawyer and just at any need that you have, there are businesses, really fast growing businesses that serve that scale of business, um, which is super growing, growing really fast. So I decided to start a software business to support brands of that scale to the small, the small to medium size scale uh, in their efforts to expand globally. Because I just noticed when I expanded my brand globally, that it was really hard to launch in a new country because mm-hmm. there was language barriers, there was tax barriers. And then, of course, the main barrier was getting actual traction in sales. Right. So that's what Judah Launch was formed for. Um, I basically started Judah Launch as a launch platform for e-commerce brands, specifically right now, Amazon-based brands, to expand their business to new countries. Because uh, the two easiest ways for a brand at that scale to expand their business when they're doing well already is horizontal expansion through new products, just expanding your line, which we all know, you know, companies that do this and there's nothing wrong with it, just constantly coming out with new products, you know, over and over and over again through the same channels that they sell through. And then expanding globally, because if you have a channel that works, like for us right now, we serve Amazon businesses. So if you know how to work Amazon, you know that people like your product and you know that it sells, it's so easy. You've done all the work. You've done all the design work, the packaging work. You know, you've done the work to understand how the system and, and algorithms work and all of this. It's the easiest way to, for you to expand your brand is to expand globally to new markets. So, um, yeah, so we created a tool that allows people to do that easily. So is with Judo Launch, is it a SaaS product or is it an agency? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And that goes back to what you said in the beginning of our discussion, because uh, the way that my plan and model for the business was to start just by getting business and, and fulfilling our orders like any way possible. So in the beginning, it was essentially an agency. There was, there was people behind the screen. There was like the wizard behind the screen, like pulling the levers and pushing the buttons. Um, and then we started to invest in actual systems and software to, to automate the process and to optimize the process and learn from launches to make future launches more successful, um, which has been awesome to see because, you know, our software is constantly testing new launch strategies. And I use my own brand as a guinea pig for it, which is really helpful and useful to come up with the optimal launch strategy that gets the best possible results. 
Um, and that's why I moved here to San Francisco is because we started investing in more like software uh, and development infrastructure to support the business. And I just realized that it's a high growth um, opportunity mm-hmm. and that raising venture capital and like focusing on, you know, not a hustle, but an actual business growing a, a real business was the way to go with this and an experience that I personally wanted to have um, not only for this, but for future ventures, you know, in, in my thirties or forties or whatever. You right. Know? So I just wanted to have the experience, honestly, I came here and I was just like, you know, All right. let's do this. <laughs> so you're looking to, this makes a lot more sense because uh, Judah launch, I thought was an agency. When you told me you're looking for VC funding for an agency, I was like, how does that yeah, that would be much tougher. Yeah, yeah definitely. But investors do not like that. No. In fact, like, here in Silicon Valley and San Francisco, like if if it takes people for you to scale, it always takes people for you to scale, but if the actual operations of your business, the day-to-day operations, means scaling people and training people, that's like just a red flag. Like nobody wants to touch that. Like they, this is like the tech capital of the world. You might find more people who are interested in those opportunities elsewhere, but investors here want to see really high growth opportunity. And they want to see that if you got the resources, you could scale really fast. They want to see like that if you had the resources that you needed, that you have the people, you have the knowledge, the industry knowledge in place, you have the right you know team and everything to scale and go into hyper growth. Like that's what they want to yeah. hear. That's what they want to see. And that takes technology or software, software and technology. Definitely. So a lot, um, a question that like if crowdfunding is done properly, it's a like Jamstack moment where Jamstack is like one of my favorite campaigns. It's the electric guitar amplifier that we've gone on to raise over a quarter million dollars for it. Um, and Chris is like textbook. Awesome. What I want to use Kickstarter for where we launch a product we get brand awareness, we get thousands of customers, but then off the back end of that launch, partnerships happen and we closing investment and stuff like that, investment rounds to scale and be able to, you know, invest in systems and inventory and like, and all the things. So this is a question for someone who is looking to use crowdfunding for the exact same way. They know they're looking for investment post crowdfunding. For you, you go out to San Fran, how do you decide how much money you need to raise and how much you're willing to give up in equity for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's so funny because like, that's kind of one of the first things that I kept asking because I'm, of course I'm here, I'm starting brand new. I have no friends here, no network, right? I'm starting from total scratch. I'm like just a single 20 something year old dude here. Right. So, um, I, all I did was just try to get meetings with as many people as possible, as many other founders, as many investors, as many accelerator programs, all of this stuff. And that's kind of basically those two questions that you just asked were two of the core questions that I would ask literally everybody. And it turns out that the answer is whatever the fuck you want. And you basically make the rules. So if you say, but you, you want to make rules. So it's not that there's no rules, it's that you set the rules and you propose them. And maybe you'll come across a VC firm or an investor, an angel investor who says, no, 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 we're not doing it that way. We're going to do it like this. I've done dozens of these deals and that's not how it's going down. But 
just as likely you could come across a syndicate or an angel or a VC firm that's like, okay, yeah, that sounds good for us. We're in. So what that means is essentially you need to set a time period that you're raising funds for. So you can go to people and say, okay, from August to November, we're looking to raise half a million on a $4 million valuation. You know, are you in? Are you in or are you out? You know, like that. You, you want to have a proposal ready to go. You don't want to go in there and say, so we're looking to raise some money. You know, what do you think? You, you want to have an idea in your head. And the interesting thing about it is you can calculate valuation any number of ways. And it turns out that it really doesn't have to be based on anything. The most common ways are what are other similar companies valued at? What, or what were they valued at at your stage? So when they got funded, what was their valuation for their first round of funding, their seed round of funding? Another common way is if you're making revenue or if you have net profit, do you, using some type of multiple of net profit, and that's usually paired with your forecasted profit for the next year or two years, mm-hmm. um, and doing some type of multiple on revenue or net profit that's in line with whatever industry you're in. Um, so again, you look at a similar company that's raised around. But then the third way, and I would say, and I'm no expert, Kirsten, because I, I literally just got here four months ago. So this mm-hmm. is all my personal experience that we're, we're talking here. But the third way, and seemingly most common way, is just pulling it out of your ass, like legitimately just making it up and just saying, you know, we're raising this, we're raising X on an X valuation. And that's it. But it's okay. okay. So, and so your third question, how much, how do you know how much of your company to give up? Mm-hmm. Um, a general rule of thumb is that each round that you raise, you're cutting out of the pie a 20 to 30% um, equity slice. So, so funding rounds go like this. One, the first round is friends and family. So that's just your personal savings, anybody that you know that wants to invest. That's like a couple tens of thousands of dollars, maybe $100,000. Second round is called your seed round. That could be anywhere these days between 100,000 and it could be upwards of a million. It could be up to 2 million. Um, so that's your first real round of funding. Then it's a series A, then a series B, then a series C, then a series D, then a series, you could go on and on and on. Uber is still private and they still have an IPO. So you could keep having private rounds of funding, but each time you have a round, you're cutting out another 20 to 30% of the company. So, and that doesn't mean that after four rounds, the entire pie is gone. You're, you're cutting it and everyone else's equity gets diluted and squeezed. Right. Okay. um, Yeah. So that's the general rule of thumb. If your your listeners are interested in that. Yeah. No, it's cool. I know you're not an expert, but it doesn't matter. Like I'm here to hear about your unique experience because while it will be different for everyone, you're the one that's, eyeball deep in this right now right yeah so yeah eyeball deep at least now i'm gonna pause we cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics spreadsheets and um 
sorting customer data. Not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or a platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually create, um, created a discount code for the Uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to to uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, so if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. You mentioned earlier that your first online business was selling Spinal something products on Amazon. Yeah, tell me yeah, a bit about that. Mostly Amazon. Okay. So, I mean, we did Amazon channels were and still are our main channels, um, but we've explored other things that just nothing is as successful as as Amazon has been for us. And that's because, unlike many of your listeners' businesses, this business was okay. So, yeah, this is actually something that I really wanted to talk about during our podcast. So, there's a spectrum, right? So, on on one end of the spectrum, you have pure white label. So this is, you get a garlic press, you have your, your name or your brand like laser printed onto the garlic press that already exists, that millions or tens of millions of people have bought before, and you sell that. And you just try to market it better and you know get more visibility to it or whatnot. The total other end of the spectrum is you invented this brand new widget for a problem that people don't even know that they have. And they need to be educated that they even have this problem to even solve and that your product solves it. And it's totally new technology. Maybe you have the IP, maybe you have utility patents, you know, trademarks, design patents and all of that. Um, And that's the total other end of the spectrum, right? But in this middle zone, there is a ton of space to mess in there. So you can have somewhat, and this is, this is what our business was. So getting to the answer of your question. So our business was some, towards the first end of the spectrum, towards white label, but with new design elements in there. And I think that's what made it successful. So like both ends of the spectrum have their pros and their cons, right? The white label is great because you know that there's market demand for it because people mm-hmm. are buying that exact thing already. And it's bad because tons or unlimited numbers of other companies or manufacturers or brands can sell it. So it gives you much less of a competitive advantage. The other end of the spectrum has the the opposite. So it's not market validated. You don't know if people want it. It's something so new that the only way to truly validate it, and I'm sure this is a totally different subject that we could dive into, but the only way to really know is to start selling it and see how many people buy it. Um, And you could do your market research, build a list and all that stuff too, of course. But that's the problem that that end of the spectrum has where, where... it has the opposite of the problem that the white label has is its strength. So with new design, you know, if you have IP and it's brand new, you're the only one selling this thing. You own the market. You're a market maker, not a market follower. So it, both sides come with their challenges. Both sides come with their, their advantages. But we sat somewhere in the middle, somewhere closer to the white label side, but with new design elements. So we would find products that were already selling. That was a... Uh, already pre-validated because we knew there was a need there. 
And then we would make those products better with design elements. Um, and I come from a technical background, so I did the design myself. And mm-hmm. I had my own spinal injury, so I was using these products. And I was like, man, this needs to change. This needs to change. This needs oh to change. Oh, my God. Right. So um, we, we launched in these niches, these product spaces that were already validated but had new design elements. And you just and, put a different flair onto it. Yeah. Um, so we got the benefits of, of the white label of having a validated space while also getting the benefits of kind of that hardcore design aspect of having something at least somewhat new or at right. least new features that set us, set us apart. And I think, you know, that's kind of an underappreciated middle zone to be in because you've got these internet marketer types who go from, you know, SEO and internet marketing to like having a brand and spend no time on product development. And they end up with that garlic press with their name lasered on it. But then you have like these really smart, like really interesting creative people, but that don't have the internet marketing side and don't like spend any time validating. They spend all their time making this awesome product that maybe nobody wants. So that middle zone is something that I, I, you and I come in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Before we do that, um, I'm going to segue into something. So your first product was something related to spines improvement. Um, did you get into that because you had a spinal injury and you had an, like an understanding of the space already? That was part of it, but also it was because I validated the market. So yeah, I, when I was figuring out which business to start or which niche to go in, um, I was using a mix of what I had personal experience in and what would sell and what would work, you know, in the marketplace. And I also had a couple other rules. Like I wanted it to be boring. I didn't want to sell like cool sunglasses with wooden frames or, you know, stylish new shoes that from like a, with an ink and pattern that came from Peru or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted it to be like a, a super boring thing because I figured there would be less competition there. I could go into like more high price categories and I could, I could like kind of revolutionize that boring thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also not, if it's not sexy, you don't have to constantly be coming up with new things. It's not about the fashion. It's not about the coolness of it. It's about the utility. And that's what I wanted to go into. Right. Um, and I wanted to have no moving parts. So these yes. are all like Thanks. very simple products that just don't break easily and they last a long time. And uh, that was really important to me. So really? yeah, so using all of those, those criteria, I picked Spinal Health. Okay. Because the reason I ask is because you seem to have a backstory and personal experience with a certain brand. Have you ever considered using Kickstarter to launch a product? That's funny that you ask because uh, kind of, so we started discussing this before, but I actually would love to run this by you, Kirsten. We have, okay. uh, so after, after launching this brand and having success, um, I had a bunch of conversations with my dad who is really into meditation and also like kind of the modern non-secular meditation movement um, and what he calls non-secular Buddhism. And he had an idea for a new type of meditation cushion. And we basically started a joint venture together to arrange a design for this meditation cushion that puts you in a completely different posture that's uh, neutral. 
um, which means that it doesn't make you use muscles to keep yourself in a good posture. You just naturally sit in a good posture. So instead of lotus, where you have your legs like crossed in front of you, your legs are down and start sort of going behind you, which allows you to relax your spine and meditate for longer periods of time without pain. And I was like, dad, this is super cool. I've already launched a product, a, a whole line, you know, and done very well with it. But I'd like to experience this where it's, you know, rather than being, like I said, with the spectrum before on the white label end of the spectrum, this is something that's, you know, a very new design. It would be closer to the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And okay. I want to like, you know, this is something that uh, I think, and I have no experience in the space. So that's why it's so great that we're now friends. Thanks to Ezra Firestone. <laughs> right. Because, Funny that. <laughs> yeah. Because I would love to explore doing a Kickstarter campaign or a crowdfunding campaign for it. I find that I always get asked, like, people pitch me. I feel like an investor sometimes where they pitch me their ideas and say, what do you think of this? And I feel that, like, successful products on Kickstarter have three things. They have an awesome product with a definite pain point that it solves. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's it's validated, right? Um, resourcefulness. And I don't mean thousands of dollars in the bank. I just mean the ability to get your hands on the resources to implement the launch. And the third thing is like a, someone with an entrepreneur brain, they're able to execute and get stuff done and focus on the right things. Um, but when it comes down to what makes a product launch successful, I, I think that the best products that resonate with people are the ones that have a great story behind it. So you know how before you were talking about the garlic press with someone's label on it, like white label. I tend to not get excited about those as a product launch because there's no story behind it. People get really invested in, we'll say the purple pillow. The purple pillow is a campaign that raised $2.6 million on Kickstarter. And it's a rocket scientist that has been doing this innovative new design and he's perfected this art over 20 years. And they, they tell the story of, of not necessarily like, oh, they had a spinal injury to fall back on, but it's, they had, they told the journey of discovering why pillows are so bad and what inspired him to create the best pillow story, right? There's some aspect of it behind this thing where it's, it's, I think the best marketing and the best Kickstarter campaigns are the ones that have not only a good product, but they have that story behind it. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about Please. this? Okay. So you say this is a new product. Um, yeah. has, has this shape or posture been done before? Like, how do you know that this is something that's going to sell? So, yeah, actually it is. So there's, it's a, it's a type of meditation posture that is done, but it's done using the only people that use it are like the hardcore, like Buddhist meditators. And they're, they use like this weird, like wooden thing. That's like a small, like inclined, like wooden platform. And it's super like uncomfortable. Um, and like our design is a completely different, like paradigm. Uh, but it uses that posture, the same posture that people use with this like inclined, like okay. wooden curve. So just doing a quick Google like um, search, whenever I, I look to see if something will sell, like you are, it's not super innovative. You're doing a different flair to a new, or a new flair to a current solution. So when I, when I Amazon 
Google, the meditation pillows, these are things that are actively selling and they are selling quite a few units online. But how do you like, okay, so you're, you're taking this uncommon way of sitting and Mm -hmm. introducing people to a new way of a practice and you want them to like craft a new habit with this. Um, Why is your pillow in the posture that you're selling better than what is currently out there or different? Like what makes your thing unique and why does it matter? What's the pain point there? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. And, uh, and also goes back to what you were saying about having someone like the rocket scientist who, who developed the, the purple pillow, because um, my dad is pretty deeply involved with this non-secular meditation movement and actually um, is a leader in the community in New Jersey of meditators and also non-secular Buddhism and non-secular uh, meditation. And uh, so he's in kind of a unique position because he does this so much and he, uh, in his meditation groups, he's actually with our prototypes brought them in to test them out in like essentially focus groups and have people, you know, dozens of people using it at the same time. So that's kind of, that's actually what initially sparked the real excitement was with their excitement was people being like, uh, can I have this? Like, can I keep this? Because this is way better for my back because, uh, the whole like point of the thing was to, uh, to allow you to meditate for longer and without spinal strain. Because I mean, what, what people typically do to solve this problem, like the janky solution that people do to solve this problem is to keep sitting in Lotus, but sit against a wall. Like you just go against the wall. So your back can't go back and that keeps your posture straight, but you don't always want to meditate against the wall, um, using your existing, you know, meditation cushion or pillow or whatever. So this allows you to be like spine neutral anywhere, which you know, it's pretty cool. Which I could see based on you, assuming you meditate. I'm, I, I know you do. I think you do. doesn't matter. Do. <laughs> you do. Yeah, but I lay down. So I'm not, okay. I'm not, I'm in yeah. bed, like out of bed. So. But as the guy, if I were to work with you on this, the angle that I would go is bec- I would play off your spinal injury and why this spinal health is so important because you aid all the space and stuff, right? Because this is like, it's promoting good spinal health through an alternative method. So it could be people, that's your demographic, right? It's people who, um, they like the idea of meditating, but they get uncomfortable sitting up without added support. So if you have any back injuries, um, this is a great way to do it while also including meditation into your life. And we all know that meditation is a growing practice right now. Um, but guys, the exercise we just did, I have already talked to Chris about his product. I've already asked him these questions. So I, I knew intimately what his product was doing. But the reason I wanted to go through that exercise is to give you guys an idea of some of the questions people ask in terms of what, how you know someone or a product is going to be successful. You need to look at, and this is going into the, where you wanted to touch on is validation and really understanding the market. Um, the questions that I ask as a consultant is, well, first off, you can see that Chris has intimate knowledge of the problem. He knows the exact problem this cushion solves. He knows who it matters to and what the angle is and what makes this an alternative and much better solution to what is currently on the market. So when you look, if you're asking yourself, is my product going to sell? 
Look and see what is selling. See how your thing is unique enough and is it good enough that someone is willing to pay additional money for this? And do you have a great story you can wrap into it too? So, wow. Like take a clip of that recording and just like keep it on my desktop. Mind blown. It's, um, but it's true. Like these people are like, hey, Kirsten, will this thing sell? Uh, I'm going to do my consultant thing and I'm going to turn that back on you and say, okay, well, who is selling it in, in your market? Is this new? What proof do you have this will sell? Like, you know, it's super high level. Um, but I think this could be a great uh, segue into like, um, do you have a specific product or specific example you want to talk about to go into the validation and getting to know the market a little bit? Because you talked on that a bit, but then I completely hijacked the conversation. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. No, that's all good. This, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a good example. It's kind of funny because I just need to stop starting businesses. Someone needs to like come and stop me from starting new businesses. It's so hard, but um, that's like a goal of mine. Don't start a new business this year, <laughs> but opportunities keep coming up. But no, this is, this is an interesting, this venture with my dad. Um, is actually like a, a cool experience for me because it's, it's, it is on that other side of that spectrum. And it was, it was easy for me with my spinal health brand because it was kind of small or minor design modifications to do the validation. So I, I would literally just, my process was just like to look on Amazon and use tools like Jungle Scout, you know, to see how many units were selling per month. And then check through reviews to see what kinds of complaints people have, like looking at all the negative reviews, like what do people wish this had or what did they wish it didn't have maybe. Like maybe it has a bad smell that everyone always complains about. That's something you could fix. You end up seeing patterns in that. And then, of course, it's your own experience. Like if you're uh, like a creative, interesting you know, person, you're likely to kind of notice things if you look for it when you use the product. And every time I go into a new product category, uh, I order like at least seven or eight of the top brands of the product. And I have them all in my house and I like try them all out and I have my roommates try them all out and get feedback and, and uh, just think myself, what would make this better? So that's, that's what I was doing before. Um, whereas this, kind of meditation venture with my dad is a little bit different um, because while we can validate that there's a market for meditation products and meditation support products, um, it's hard to really validate this because we're, we're trying to educate the market on how, why this posture is better for you. And that's why we thought like a, a crowdfunding campaign would be valuable because it gives us a platform to communicate and, and speak to the audience. Yeah. You know, our target audience. And so, if, yeah. I find too, like, cause what you're, you have like great product, great story, all the things, but then you might get the skeptics where you would want to take this a step further in that you, unless if you're a team of doctors making certain claims, it could be hard to support. So you, um, I know you can't make medical claims on Kickstarter um, period, right. but if you're looking for, you can either brand it as something that like could be great for postural health and I use it testimonial based. Like I've been using this for years. Our mm -hmm. students have, it's really helped. Or you can take it a step further. If you want to 
like not, I don't want to say legitimize, but you know, take it. So there's without a, a string of doubt, you bring this to a physiotherapist and you get medical endorsement can be part of your story to really back up that. Yeah. Like because of X, Y, Z lateral muscles, um, it's going to increase your form. Yeah. But that's such a good point. And that really rang true to me when we spoke about this briefly before. Um, and you mentioned that I actually started to look into some individuals or organizations that could either be that for us or help us hook up with that, that person. Yeah. Cause even though it's, uh, it's so dumb, but this is just how it is. Like you need to, as part of sales, like, you know, you can say, oh, it does this, but without testimonials, that social proof without, not every campaign needs medical endorsement, but it. These are things that people don't think of until they start to get skeptics or people saying, well, how do I know this really works? Right. And then you're yeah. like, crap. Okay. That's, I need product testers. I need all the things. Right. So yep. um, it definitely makes for a stronger campaign, I think. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about it from the opposite perspective, from like a customer's perspective, like that's how I would feel too. You know, like nobody believes the company, you know, of course they're going to say they're great. Like, what are they going to say? Like our product works sometimes, you know, like it's, I don't listen to the companies. Like you want to hear what a third party has to say or what like real customers have to say. And of course, even those can be gained too. And I think some people know that, but it definitely adds like a huge element of social proof to it. Yeah. That's trust. Um, speaking of trust, I was on the phone with Indiegogo earlier this week uh, around a campaign. We're getting close to launching and the customer, um, we're changing this, but in his video, okay, he has like beautiful product images. They have a real product. Um, in his video, he really wanted to show a rendered 3d animation as like kind of the yeah. first point of, of, so okay, yeah. you watch the video 40 seconds in all of a sudden you see a 3d rendered video and Indiegogo, I told him this too, but Indiegogo on the phone with him was like, your first people don't want to see renderings because crowdfunding backers are getting more sensitive to yeah. products that are concept versus real. And yeah. you got to take the rendering out. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. They, they do like you need proof that this thing works or else backers are smart. They're going to yeah. look at your thing and think if this is just a concept, yeah. well, I'm probably not going to get my thing yeah. or whatever. So who have run Kickstarter campaigns that I backed and it just never got the thing. And I was like, those fuckers, don't make money. Yeah. You know? Like, I think you're right. Like, people get smarter about it. Backers get smarter about it. And that comes down to trust. So, guys, if you want really good advice for free right now, just look at your campaigns or your products super skeptically to see what are concerns people would have and why would they not buy your thing? What are you missing? And then plug in the gaps with that. Yeah. I think that's all... Actually, like across the board, always like good advice to put yourself in the shoes of the customer and look at it from their perspective. You're always looking at it from your own perspective, like behind the screen, right? But like, know. you always want to be putting yourself in their shoes. Like, would you believe you if you were in their shoes? Like, that's a good Oh, question. that's a good point. You make me want to look at some of my sales pages and think like, that critically. I'm so good at marketing other people's products. When it comes to my own, I'm just not the best. Wow. Whatever. I mean, I'm decent. 
But I'll just be like, hey, buddy, just like someone else write my story, whatever. But um, that'll be more flattering probably than you would. Yeah, and I could just be super critical, but um, cool. I want to make sure. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover, or um, any question that I should have? Yes, is there a question I should have asked you that I have not asked you? No, I think actually we we kind of like ADD style covered like everything, like shotgun style. <laughs> so and we did it all in pretty quick time. I do want to say, I would like to say just for your audience's appreciation of you, as if they don't have enough, that it's I was scrolling through your page before this this interview and just looking at the the most recent people and just a bunch of the people that you've you've interviewed. And it's really cool that like we, your listeners get someone like you, who's doing the dirty work. Who's like there on the streets, like talking to people who are not just famous, who are not just the people who are like constantly doing talks and presentations and just spinning mm-hmm. up the same stuff or who wrote books or whatever, but also like the unknowns. Like I thought that was really cool. Like you got people who are just doing it. They're not talking about the fact that they're doing it, but you get them to talk. And that's yeah. like, I think that's what you're the conference that we met at too you're yeah. like finding people who are doing interesting things like you know being that like that sourcing agent like to find the cool peeps and i think that's really awesome of you to do and that takes hard work and hope your listeners appreciate that because i do i appreciate you it make it sound so intentional it's really not it's just i'll have a call i'll sit down with someone and they'll say something and i'll be like oh my god my audience wants to hear this and then i'll just get them on the show like ah, you're too modest here see this is why i need to come on your show more so yes you because you're not talking yourself up enough that'll be my job okay fine thank you um but i am looking forward to our next episode episode 100 we have confirmed the founder of cards against humanity is coming on the show oh, yeah wow he was our he was our most it's his second time back max tempkin he was our most downloaded episode by far. And uh, funny story, I got uh, I brought him on because he was in the middle of a campaign called Secret Hitler for a card game. And I do my typical like, oh, so Max, can you tell me how you got into developing card games? And you asked him in that voice? <laughs> no, of course not. Um, and he's like, well, it started about five years ago when I created Cards Against Humanity. And... This is back when I didn't research my guests. So I had no idea who he was. No way. Halfway through, I was like, um, how did I miss him? No, not to him. I will. Oh, really? I will. I think I will. He was like my hardest interview, but so good. He basically, knowing he had a Kickstarter guru on the phone, he shit on all of us. He's like, I am so sick of the Kickstarter marketing tactics. Because what it came into, I was like, so how did you wow. raise so much money in such a short period of time? He's like, um, there's no marketing tricks. Like, you create great products and you spend the time on customer experience. It is going to pay off. And he just like, he railroaded all Kickstarter guru advice. And I was just like, oh, he's hating on me. But it was so good because he had such a great point that Kickstarter is losing the art behind why creators use it to bring awesome products to market. It's becoming more of a marketing platform for 
crappy white label products and it's hard, harder to stand out. And that's why I'm like a really big fan of brands like what you're doing with the meditation pillow, because you have a personal story and a journey that connects you to the product and helps you really, really understand the problem to deliver a great product. So, totally. cause that's going back to really the basics. I'm going to call my dad right after this interview. <laughs> so, hey, Hey, man. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, cool. Why? Well, I don't want to take a spotlight away from you, but yeah, I just confirmed him yesterday. So awesome. That's so cool. I have to go back and listen to that episode. I want to hear the it's moment. Really where you cool. realize. Um, I you should. To, like, <laughs> I want to just like, rewind and listen to that one moment over and over again like that. I'm oh. <laughs> oh, honestly, no, I don't think a you listening for it will know, what it, oh, okay. but honestly, like, I think I'm really smooth with covering my, like, backtracking really, really fast. I'm good at that stuff that, I mean, unless if I'm just, whatever, just thinking, whatever, but. Uh, I bet you have to be in yeah. you kind of just got to go with the flow. I was just oh. like, oh, after freaking, I was like, oh, I'm just good at, like, dealing, managing freak out quickly and, uh, like, just pretending like that never happened, so. Um, let me know after you listen to it, if it was obvious what I did, like I've spoken publicly about this before, but I, I hope if I tell him it's, it's a good angle and he's not just like, you're a moron. Are you going to admit it to him tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know. I'll see how it goes. Okay. All right. This is cool. This is like, this is suspenseful. This is really hooking me into your podcast here. So this is making me want to listen to more Honestly, if you're going to listen to any episode, either do that one or episode 33 with Ravian. But anyways, I'm not promoting my podcast. Of course I am. <laughs> listen. That's allowed. Cool. Hey, all right. Self-promotion. I like it. Um, okay. So judo launch. I mean, yeah, I, I see you're a serial entrepreneur, but you help people, entrepreneurs with product launches, specifically yeah. Amazon right now. And then you're going into yeah. general e-commerce. So to plug your stuff a little bit, um, guys, if you're wondering how you can work with Chris, he would be a great transition after crowdfunding to help get you onto Amazon and other marketing channels. Yep. Yeah. We'll get you traction and get you organic sales rolling. That's like what we do. And our whole like mission here is kind of sticking it to the man, like not like giving these small to medium sized brands, the power of global expansion that like the Procter and Gamble's have, you know? Yes. Like that. We like to like, we like the small businesses of like one person or five people or 10 people, like just making it happen. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, you know, for us. We talk about that all the time, like in our team meetings. So, yeah, definitely. I love that. You just call it Rebel Launches. No, that's too cliche. But, oh, hey, that could be like a subcategory, sub product. It could so, be. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so, if people want to learn more about what you're doing or how to get in contact with you, what's a good place for that? Yeah, they could they could just shoot a message to hello at judolaunch.com and right. I'd be happy to answer any questions or chat or whatever. Okay. Um, and you can also check out what we do at judolaunch.com. And you that guys are too. launching a new website very soon. We are about to launch a new website. Our current website is just embarrassing, but don't judge <laughs> us by it. Don't, don't judge yeah, us. give it four weeks after the publishing of this episode. It should be up or whatever. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. And then hopefully sometime in the future, we'll be able to uh, have a follow-on episode where we see how this fundraising actually goes and see how this meditation cushion actually goes. I think that would be cool to track that. 
Yeah, I think it's cool. Uh, I just, I've never covered in an episode, like someone pitching me a product and I think that it's good for people to see the, the thought process that goes behind the, some considerations with that. Um, and, and your perspective, like it was actually kind of funny hearing your answer because like you said, you feel like an investor. Well, you sounded like an investor. You're like, who's oh. the team? Who are the people? Why are they qualified? Like, do you have the resources to make this happen? Like everything that you said was, I mean, I'm hearing that constantly with Judah launch here in Silicon Valley. So you, maybe you have a, an investor. Uh, that is a goal. I would yeah. like to be an investor for sure. I mean, I'm essentially, um, I'm, people come to me to find out if their product will be successful or not. And I'm getting into a lot of product validation prior to taking on launches. So you're like Mark Cuban. You're, you're basically Mark Cuban already. <laughs> Except Shark I'm not. <laughs> yeah. The new Shark cool all right well it, this has been awesome thanks for coming on the show and i'll definitely have you back for other random chats in silicon valley awesome. 2.0 or whatever so sounds good awesome cool. you too guys if you're in the middle of planning your product launch a couple of resources for you um the main website crowdfundinguncut.com we do have a free crowdfunding product launch checklist which has a full six-month plan for what I do with my launches to make sure they can be successful. Um, there's that. But if you're looking for something a little bit extra, we also have the Crowdfunding Product Launch Academy, which is a monthly community and resource for getting you to the support you need for your launch months before, during, and after. So we currently have a uh, $1 seven-day trial. If you want to check that out, you can go to crowdfundingproductlaunchacademy.com. All links, including the ones that Chris has talked about, are going to be on the show notes as well. Um, but apart from that, thank you so much for making this possible. And I'm so stoked that we're getting into episode, well, three-digit episode 100. So anyways, take care, guys. Woo! All right. Cheers. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.